Um, we got some things that we want to share with you today. Um, and my wife is going to pass out the notes to you. It's so funny. Uh, brother, you didn't have no idea what was in our heart. Uh, you shared about rightly dividing the word of God. And one of the things that we like to do in our ministry here in Harrisburg is to hand out notes because we think it's a serious thing when we minister in the word of God. Some of you, most of us, grew up in church and sermons were brought forth and teachings were brought forth and there's a few people that are scribbling notes in their Bibles and underlining things, but we believe we ought to be really, really intentional about this, especially in this day and time. Where there are so many, there's a lot of controversy in the world today in our lives and we really honestly need to be able to answer questions that are coming forth to us uh, the, the time is over for just trying to answer questions and that people are bringing to you by just shooting from the hip or just simply going from what my pastor said but I don't really know it for myself yeah <laughs> And so we, we're going to go through these notes today. A lot of it's just simply reading, but my wife and I are writers, and um, we've written several, several, uh, several books together uh, through the years. And uh, so for us, uh, the ministry gift that God has given us is writing, so we like to put down our thoughts and then just share those thoughts with you. Um, we're, the part of the reason why we share so much in common with your pastor here is because we're both uh, 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 involved with media. We both were involved in writing, uh, both involved in ministry, both love our wives and our families. That's all. And when the two of us get together, y'all, everybody might as well leave because we're going we're gonna to talk a while. We'll get on the phone intending for it to be a five-minute conversation. And about an hour and a half later, she said two hours later. <laughs> We're finally saying, oh, I got to let you go, brother. I got to let you go. <laughs> and, but that's the kind of relationship that we have had from the very first time we ever met. Uh, we just hit it off right from the beginning. We realized that uh, God had destined for us to meet and to share and to minister together. And right now, as you guys know, your past, God has put a tremendous, tremendous call upon him concerning the 2019 movement. And I wanna encourage you to really rally behind your pastor and I'm gonna be sharing uh, with you today, Carol and I are gonna be sharing with you today on, I'll give you a little bit more perspective on the calling that's on your pastor and that's on you. Because he really steps out there and he may be saying some things and doing some things you're like, I'm not quite sure I'm really on board with what pastor's doing, you know, because he has a way of saying stuff and and I don't know if I really understand really all of where he's coming from and, and uh, you know, he challenges things politically. Some of you probably heard your pastor in, in other settings and you're probably cringing because you're like, people are going to find out that I go to that man's church. <laughs> And I don't want them to think that, that you know that I'm against this and against that. But you gotta, you have to take a stand. At some point in your life, you must take a stand. You can't try to live the rest of your life. The word is incognito, under the covers. Nobody really knows my position. Um, you really got to take a stand, especially in this hour. And there are some things uh, the Lord kind of put it to us this way. There's there there's some things that make the word of God of no effect. You said, 
How can you how, how can you say that? Make the word of God of no effect? Yeah, that can actually happen. And today we're going to be sharing about some of the things that makes the word of God of actually no effect in a person's life. We're not talking about the word of God is powerless. Of course it's powerful. Sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide between soul and spirit, between the between the marrow and the and joints and the bone. And that's incredible because that's almost indistinguishable when you look at it under microscope. You can't hardly tell where the marrow in and the bone begins. But the, but the word of God can make the distinction. I mean, it's so precise. It can make a distinction that can't even be detected under the microscope. That's how he can discern and, just, and get into our lives and distinguish between the things we say and the things we really mean. Mm. The real motive for what we do and what we say. And so it's very important that we look at the word of God that way. Bless the Lord our God. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we honor you today. Chris and Carol, we decrease that you would increase in this place. Lord, there are some things that we must say and must share. And you've already sent confirmation of why it must be said. Just like the pastor of this house, I'm in the same position. I must stand before you one day That's and right. give account for what I said and shared with your people. So the things that are tough to hear, the things that may be tough to swallow, we thank you, Lord God, that you have already prepared hearts yes. to hear this yes. word and to receive it. Because what ultimately what you are after is restoration yes. and renewal and revival. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I want you just to relax. Uh, I, now that I've been living here in Harrisburg for 12 years and kind of checked out the atmosphere for a while, for those of you that don't know, I'm originally from St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, my wife and I lived in Ferguson for a while, a long, long time ago. And some of you never even heard of St. Louis or Ferguson or anything, Ferguson or anything until two years ago with the incident with Michael Brown. And you saw the, the response, the rioting and all that kind of thing. And uh, that's my hometown. In fact, as soon as it happened, I turned to my wife and I said, they're going to riot. You know, because those kinds of incidents have been taking place in my city uh, all of my life. And with the tensions and the things that were happening across the country, it was just building up and building up and building up. So I knew when it happened there that there would be a violent response. Um, I don't come from a very passive place. We don't have a lot of passive aggressiveness. Now out here, you know, there's a lot of passive aggressiveness. People don't necessarily confront you to your face. They just do all kinds of stuff behind your back. Yes, sir. Make it plain. Don't worry how it is where I come from. You don't do much behind your back. It's all up in your face. All up in your face. And so that's why I knew St. Louis was going to respond the way it did because that's the world I'm from. It's very much like Chicago. You know, Chicago's like has 700 murders uh, this year. And St. Louis is just like that just like that. It's always in the top three most dangerous cities in America. So I come from that. I come from that world. My wife and I have ministered in that world. Uh, in our home church, we served there for 17 years. And most of our ministry was with young people straight from the streets. We're involved in benevolence ministry, allowing people to come into our church every single week, come in the building 
and we would minister to them straight from the streets and serve them food. My wife and I, we personally did that. We went to the streets ministering in the parks uh, and in the community. Um, um, and so we saw ministry growth uh, in our city, not as a result of starting a church and then people coming from other churches to join ours. Our growth was due to actually going to the streets, going to the world and evangelism and people coming and actually getting saved and uh, getting discipled. And so we've experienced something uh, that that uh, often, from my observations here in this area, haven't seen a lot of, a lot of people actually coming into the church from the world and getting discipled in the church growing as a, re, as a result of that. That's not a criticism, that's an observation and I'm making a point. What has happened though is that when churches simply grow because people come from other churches, uh, we get accustomed to uh, certain traditions and words and, and uh, ideas that are just simply passed on from church to church and not really the word of God. And so when you find yourself coming into a church or ministry like this, where the true word of God is coming <laughs> forth, then it makes you question a lot. It's okay to, to, for you to admit that some of the stuff that Pastor Joe says, I'm really wondering, where did he get that from? <laughs> And that's because for most of us, most of us, what's been passed down to us has been the traditions of men, not the word of God. And even when they were quoting scriptures, they were not interpreting the scriptures according to actual interpretation of scripture. They still would interpret it based upon their denominational belief. Some of you that come from those strong denominational backgrounds, you know I'm telling the truth, right? Amen, sir. So when you begin to hear actual truth, mm-hmm. what God meant by those words, That's then right. it shakes us and our foundation. You start questioning, where did that pastor get that from? Does the Bible actually say that? And then when you go and read it, you go, oh, it really does. Mm-hmm. I'll give you one example of a tradition. How many of you have heard, the race is not given to the swift, nor to the strong, but to he who endures to the end. Now, when you go and read that scripture, that's not what it says. It says the race is not given to the strong, the, the race is not given to the, I mean, the battle is not given to the, help me, y'all. <laughs> Take my time. <laughs> but time and chance, that's what the scripture actually goes on to say. It doesn't say the battle is not given to the strong, the race to the, to the swift. It says time and chance happens to them all. That's what the scripture says. And what does that mean? That means that the strongest person doesn't always win the fight. That's right. The fastest person doesn't always win the race because time and chance can happen to them. That's what the scripture actually says. And so what happens is in our traditions, when we try to live out what we've been told that scripture says, Versus what it actually says. Then we find ourselves questioning God. God, why is this happening to me? Because the preacher said, if I just hold on until the end. But that's not what it says. What does that mean? That means that even as born again, spirit filled, Bible quoting, tongue talking believers, bad stuff can happen to us. That's what keeps us from getting angry at God when stuff happens. 
because we were holding on to a tradition of man that was not the actual word of God. Mm. Because when stuff actually happens to us, and that's what happened, when Apostle Paul preached and taught. He said, I actually one time prayed and asked God three times to take away this thing, mm -hmm. this messenger of Satan that, that, that has sent to buffet my body. He said, I prayed and asked God three times, and God only gave me one answer. My grace is sufficient. <laughs> yes. So instead of trying to hold on to the tradition of men, you grab a hold to the actual word of God of when I'm going through. His word says, you can do that right now, God. Your word says your grace is sufficient for me. Isn't that good to hear today? Yes, sir. Bless the Lord. So I said all of that. I also wanted you to relax because sometimes when we come to church and when it comes to the word, we're so used to getting beat up. I don't know how many of you come from that tradition where the pastor gets up and every week we're going to get beat up by the word today. That's going to be a harsh message that's going to come forth. That's going to pretty much be all about what I'm not doing, what I'm supposed to be doing. How far I haven't come up yet to perfection. How 99 and a half won't do. How many of you heard been grew up in that? 99 and a half won't do. So even though I can, I, I can take a test and get a license and get certified and get a degree, and I got 90 and a 95 on the test, and it qualified me, but in God, I can make 99 and a half and still I'm kicked out. I don't make it. Now, here's the thing that they did not put the right emphasis on. The 100% is not in us. It's in Christ. All my righteousness is as filthy rags. What we have will never do. My righteousness is in Christ. Come on, bless the Lord right now. So all of you that that tradition got passed on to you, 99 and a half won't do. And no, no matter, yeah, no, just stop it right now and say, God, my 100% is in you. It's not in myself. Aren't you glad? Come on, bless the Lord right now. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Bless the Lord. Now we're going to go to our notes. And I want to talk to you, Carol and I want to talk to you about uh, what is the one thing that makes the word of God of no effect in a person's life. If you need notes, there's still there still should be some that you can pass around to everyone. We got plenty to share with you. As we mentioned earlier, we are writers and by the way, we do have some of our material out there in the hallway if you like. We got, everything is just five dollars. We don't make it a huge amount so that you can easily obtain it and when you purchase things from us it's not for it doesn't go into our pocket my wife and i are involved in a in a, in a women's shelter and we try when i try we actually give them our books and so when you purchase things from us you're helping us in our efforts here in this city to help the homeless and especially those involved in the women's shelter you're actually and you're also helping us to um maintain a special training that we provide for folks who are wanting to get involved in inner city work 
in the inner city ministry. Oh, I got the other microphone. We'll take it. <laughs> Bless the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Are you recording today? Yes, sir. Oh, yay. <laughs> What's the one thing that makes the word of God of no effect? Now, let's just read. We'll read. You can follow along in the notes. And as we're talking, please feel free to jump right in there and start scribbling down things that the Holy Spirit says to you. Uh, make notes on the back of that page because we don't want this to just be a one-time event. I want you to make this part of ongoing study in your life. The traditions that have been handed down from one generation to the next has been one thing that makes the word of God of no effect in a person's life. Amen. And that's not just a quote from Chris Green. Mark 7, chapter, verses 11 through 13. This is the New King James Version of the Bible. It says, but you say, this is Jesus talking. If a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is korban, that is, it's a gift of God, then you no longer... You no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down. And many such things you do. Many, some of you may have heard, uh, covered this on your pastor. I'm sure he has. But Korban was, was anything or any amount of money that is set aside strictly for God. Now, Moses had already given the people in the law, honor your father and mother. And in their tradition, that didn't just mean just saying nice things about mom and dad. That meant when your parents got older, set aside money to take care of your parents. They didn't have a, a social security system. They didn't have retirement funds. So it was the responsibility of the children when their parents got to the point where they could no longer work. It was the responsibility of the children to take care of their parents, thus honoring them. But years later, in a way to get around having to take care of their children, they instituted a tradition called Korban. Extra money our business is making, profit that we're making, it's for God. Thus, canceling the word of God, which said, honor mm. your father and mother. And Jesus said, and many such things you do, you put in traditions that make the word of God of no effect. Isn't that something? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's why, let's continue reading. So that's why strategic messages and initiatives like the 2019 movement your, that God has given your, your pastor, uh, that's why God provides movements like that because it provides a way to challenge the traditions with the truth. Mm -hmm. There are many traditions that have been passed on and they have become strongholds. Traditions are viewed as truth. We see it as truth, but it's actually a stronghold Amen. that must be, and I'm using this word intentionally, it must be dismantled. <coughs> and here are some of the traditional strongholds that many of us have. I'm having my wife go over this part. We got self-talk strongholds. We got worldly strongholds. We got marital strongholds. We got distortion strongholds. 
that have been passed down to us. We have cultural strongholds that have been passed down to us and they are traditions, phrases, words, uh, sayings yeah, that we, we, we hold on to them. Our parents said it, our cousins said it, our aunts and uncles said it, our grandparents said it, the teachers said it, people in the neighborhood said it, our best songwriters and singers, the rappers say it, the choirs sing it, the preachers preach it, and it's traditions of men. I used to think a tradition was always religious, but most of the traditions that we follow have nothing to do with even what our churches have passed on. There are things our families have passed on to us. And now, now my wife is going to go through some of them, starting with the self-talk strongholds that we have. So the things that you say when you're when you have this type of stronghold in your life, this self-talk stronghold, uh, these are the thoughts that cross your mind. I must be perfect. I must have everyone's love and approval. And these things sometimes they're not. Things that you will actually say, but you will act, you will live them out. There are there are the things that you do. There are the, the ways that you respond to life, that you respond to different situations. Uh, I think about it especially in our in our teenage years. No, definitely. A lot of the teenagers struggle with this one of having everyone's love and approval. Mm -hmm. Because they're still trying to identify themselves separate from their parents. They're trying to become their own person. So and, and it's hard to be the different one at school. Yeah. Am I right, young people? It's amazing how everybody says, be your own person. Be you. Do you. But if you really do you, if you really do you, if you don't dress like everybody else, if you don't talk like everybody else, if you don't go where everybody goes and do what everybody do, then it cancels out the do you. Because our tradition amongst our culture mm. doesn't allow us to be and do us. Go ahead. It is easier to avoid problems than to face them. And I, I was a master procrastinator. That's procrastination when you don't want to face up to some to a situation. Not necessarily because you're afraid, but you're sometimes it's just because you don't know how to handle it. I can't be happy unless things go my way. I'm sure we've run into people who want to have their way all the time. Yeah. My unhappiness is somebody else's fault. Mm. That's right. Don't raise your hand. Say, yeah. Yeah. Say, yeah, that's me sometimes. It's always somebody else's fault, the reason why you're miserable. You can't, you can't take uh, the next one is worldly strongholds. You can have it all. You, I don't know if you remember that commercial. That, um, oh, I can't remember that. But it's a fragrance commercial. Well, the woman sings. Uh, you know, she can bring home the bacon and fry it up in a pan and never let you forget your name. <laughs> and many of us, a tradition that's passed on, it's in commercials, you can have it all. You can have it all. See, that's not something some preacher told you. The world told us that. We can have it all. And we got believers trying to have it all and trying to make God give us all. 
Here's the other, other part. And I'm going to throw in a scripture to make God submit to this worldly tradition that I can have it all. Go ahead. My worth is determined by my performance. That, that can also be connected to I must be perfect. Because you, uh, well, especially on your job, if you don't do well, of course, it perfects your performance evaluation. So, so the world has a way of viewing and doing things that's so totally, completely separate from the way that God does things and sees things. Because God doesn't determine our work by uh, our performance. Isn't that awesome? God the Father spoke out of heaven. Jesus was baptized. And before Jesus had performed one miracle, before he had spoken one word, he said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He hadn't performed anything. And so think about ourselves, how we are tied our worth based upon how well I perform. Yeah. Another stronghold. Life should be easy. Anybody had that thought? <laughs> I, I, I must say, I, you know, you think about that. When you first get, when you first get saved, you first receive Jesus into your heart. There are, I had a, this expectation that, you know, I, you think life will be easier because he is in your life. And you have hope. You have another source. Um, you have all kinds of benefits because, but that doesn't mean that things won't go wrong and bad things won't happen. It just means you have someone who you can always count on, always rely on, and who will always turn it for your good. And that's when his life should be fair. Anybody ever said that? <laughs> that starts off really young, even before we're conscious. Two, three years old. That's not fair. It's not fair. Now the problem is when you become you're 20 years old, 30 years old, and 40 years old, 50 years old, and you still, it's not fair. <laughs> You shouldn't have to wait for what you want. Um, yeah, and that's for those who can get into high credit card debt because you don't want to wait for what you want. Just saying, just saying. Those who jump into relationships because... How uh, I many of you said that? Yeah, I should have waited. But we believe the tradition that was passed on. You don't have to wait. Nike, just do it. Mount, Mountain Dew, obey. <laughs> See what I mean? Traditions and strongholds that we embrace. And then when we start living life, and we come to we come to decisions about where am I going to work, where am I going to live, the car I need to buy. What kicks in? Obey your thirst. Mm -hmm. Young ladies, nice looking guy walks by. Obey your thirst. <laughs> Young man, girl goes by. Just do it. Why? Because it's a worldly stronghold, a tradition. Where did you get that from? Well, back in, you used to watch other guys, kind of sisters that way. 
You was a little boy. You was watching it happen. It seemed like it worked for them. So you picked up on it and you tried it. Wow. Somebody say yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. The last one under worldly strongholds is people are basically good. Many people operate out of this thinking. My wife and I have been, been involved in coaching, life coaching folks really many years, over 20 years. And um, lots of people like to try to operate from this thought that when they're working with other folks, that people are basically good. Some of you have probably heard that. The spirit of man, the spirit of man, the indomitable spirit of man, which is basically good. And that's assuming that if people are left to themselves, that they'll always make the right decision. Now, I don't know about you, but I know for myself, in raising my children, all the parents in the room, I did not have to teach my children to do bad. I found myself in, in as long how long were our kids in the house until they all were 18. So then the last one, you know, go through all those years, finally get the twins out. So from the twins, yeah, 20 something years of trying to teach them the right way to respond. The, 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 because we don't come here basically good. Just don't feed that child. <laughs> they go from the hungry cry to the mad cry. And then even after you feed them, then comes the change me cry. Then comes the just pick me up and hold me cry. There's anything wrong with any of those things? No. But then we start getting into that little spirit that then starts demanding that you feed me now. Demanding that you change me now. Demanding that you pick me up now. And that same little basic demanding spirit, when it's unchecked mm. and undisciplined right, right. and not parented, right. becomes that 16-year-old that says, I'll do whatever I want to whoever I want. Because we are not basically good. That's right. That's a good word. And a lot of times because it's cute, I see lots of Facebook stuff. People got little video clips of their children, children talking back to their parents. And, and I see all these comments go, oh, that's so cute. That's so cute. And some of y'all see you shaking your head now like, say, my mother, my parents would have been, I wish you would talk back. Yeah. That ain't cute. That is not cute. Showing little kids already gyrating and saying mm -hmm. all the words to the songs and the cussing and everything and the, and the raps and everything. That, that is, is not, not cute. cute. Not at all. We're not basically good and you don't feed into it. In other words, what are they doing with their child? They're passing down the tradition, right. the stronghold from one generation to the next. Or to the next is marital strongholds. All right, all the married folks, get ready. Mm. <laughs> don't look at each other. Don't look at each other. You're not allowed to look at each other. All my marital problems are my spouse's fault. <laughs> Just smile. Everybody Just smile. smile. Just everybody smile. <laughs> if our marriage takes hard work, we must not be right for each other. Mm -hmm. Oh, that is so huge. That's a big one. We've done lots of marriage coaching. Couples have felt like 
if it's, if it's got to be this if, hard, then, right. then I must not be married to the right person. Mm -hmm. We forget that we, even though we even might be the of the same um, ethnic ethnicity, we still grew up in two different households mm -hmm. that did things two different ways. Amen. Mm -hmm. So when you come together, it is a collision of yeah. culture. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a collision of different thoughts, of different ways of doing things, and you're having to become one. You're having to throw some stuff out, mm -hmm. keep some stuff, mm -hmm. um, and it all has to conform to the way that God views marriage and according to the purpose that he has for your family. Amen. 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 Um, my spouse can and should meet all my emotional needs. Oh yeah. boy! <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't mean to focus on the ladies, but it's just you're well, more of the emotional one. I can say that I, I went to marriage feeling that way. Yeah. I thought that he was supposed to. Uh, it's a, it's a. I mean, it's in all of the movies on TV. Yeah. My point. You know. <laughs> Again, something that was passed on to us. Yeah. A stronghold, <laughs> a thought that was not real. <laughs> well, I had to recognize that he didn't even belong to me. He still belongs to God. And that God brought me to him. And that it takes God to make us one. Because there's no way in the world another human being can meet all Hey, our right. emotional needs. Hey. Let's just start from this one. Sometimes I don't even know what I want. <laughs> Again, going back to that little baby, all the parents, isn't that so frustrating when, when your child is just fidgety and fussy fed and crying? And and you done fed them, changed them, cuddled them, done everything, and they still fuss it. Mm. Well, believe me, that, that aspect of the human psyche is still there when you're 25 mm. and 30 and 35 and 40. Well, I don't even know what I want. And you look to your spouse to fulfill this. Well, how's your spouse going to fulfill it? Your mama couldn't even fulfill it. She tried, hood. Come on, baby. Come on. I'm going to laughing at me now. My spouse owes me for all I do. That's that 50 50 thing. Mm. That is really a huge lie. Huge lie. Some of you have probably heard that. Marriage is supposed to be 50 50. Wrong. Lies. My 50% is not the same as his 50%. Your spouse could be giving their all and you reading it as 50%. Ouch. When you focus on trying to make it 50 50, you know what it does? It makes us simply focus on what you think the other person isn't doing. The focus on marriage has to be on the 100% that I'm bringing. And when I fall short, God has always has to make up the difference. But 50-50 doesn't work. Marriage is about giving your all. And your all, here's the, here's the other part, your all doesn't always measure up to 100%. Why? Because we're flawed. We're not perfect. So even when I'm giving my all, 
Sometimes my all, doing all my all is only meeting my wife 25%. I'm doing the best I can. I'm coming as far as I can. But again, the stronghold says that's their job. They're supposed to. Or it's based on a fear of being taken advantage of. Yeah, that's a big one. Amen. Especially, again, if you watch that. If you watch your parents well, split up. And you've been through bad breakups in the past where you felt like you gave your all and you were never really appreciated or understood by your boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse, fiance. And you get into this relationship and those strongholds are still there. Mm. The next one, I shouldn't have to change who I am to make our marriage better. Mm. <laughs> That's what Oprah says. Oh God! Oprah says you shouldn't have to change who you are uh-huh. in order to make the relationship work. <laughs> I'll put I'll put it this way. I heard this one brother say. Uh, if you buy a pet, if you buy a dog, you're going to have to change to accommodate this pet in your house. Every day, you're going to have to take this dog for a walk. Every day, you're going to have to feed him. Your life, you will change to accommodate a dog. How much more? Mm. Oh, come on, tell us about it. <laughs> 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 you think you have to change Glory. for Last one under America strongholds is my spouse should be like me. Oh. <laughs> you know, there. Are, it's funny because we have. There are times when I have to say to him, "I am not a man." Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, she's so cool and everything. I forget. Am I right, brothers? You know exactly. Y'all so cool. Sometimes you're so cool, and everything's going so great, and we just feel like. You get it. We understand it. My wife suddenly goes, wait a minute. I am not a man. I don't put things in compartments. <laughs> and file them away. And cut off my emotions. I'm like, oh. Everything is connected. Everything. Yeah. All yeah. my windows are open. Yeah. Always open. Yeah, understand that, brothers. I heard this uh, saw it was in this book. Actually written by a woman to help men understand women. He said, you know how on your computer, uh, some of you got windows uh, software, how you open up one window at a time. <laughs> and then when you want to look at something else, you minimize it so you can go work on another software. That's men. They said women, they have all the windows open all at the same time. All of the software is running all at the same time. Whereas men will open up one at a time, minimize it, open up something else. Minimize it, open up something else. Now, the advantage of that is that it gives us tremendous focus and ability. But at the same time, we don't realize that the thing that we just minimized and shut down, your wife, that, that software is still running for her. That's why she'd be remembering stuff that you did back on August the 5th. It was like this, it was raining, and so and so walked by, and this is the words that you said. And we're like, 
What? <laughs> what? I don't even remember what I had on yesterday, much less what I had on two years ago. <laughs> so she has to remind me, I don't disconnect my feelings and my memory and just move on to something else. Amen. The software keeps running. I'm, I'm helping some brothers right now. The software is always running. The program is always running. It never shuts down. Now for us, I can't imagine the software always running. Men, we ladies understand this. We have to shut it down. And the times that you ask us what we're thinking and we say nothing, Here's the reason why we say nothing. Here's the reason why we say nothing. Because if I answer the question, that's going to lead to more questions. And I don't want to have to answer. Because every answer means ten more questions. Am I right, gentlemen? And so I don't feel like answering 10 more questions. Now, of course, the ladies go, well, you love me. How can you not feel like talking to me? So that sounds offensive. What do you mean you don't want to talk to me? No, it's not that I don't want to talk to you. It's just that we have a limited amount of words that we can use every day. All right. It's true. Psychiatrists, psychologists, all of them will tell you, men have a certain amount of words that we can use every day. Once we reach our word limit, we're done. And you don't want to talk to me after my word limit because anything may come out. It's not going to, <laughs> it's be, not pretty. Going to be pretty. And so you guys, you're going, how can that be? Because words come so much more readily for you. Many of you, your vocabulary is deeper, your reservoir is deeper, and so it can feel like to you, uh, ladies, that we're not being honest or we're trying to be tricky and duck around things when, we're not, when we don't have an answer ready. And that's not it. It's just that it takes us a while. We really do have to shut down. That's why you can come in and we're watching TV and you say, what you watching? And we say, nothing. <laughs> you go, but the TV is on. What do you mean you're not watching them? It means that my mind has really shut down and I'm doing a computer reboot. <laughs> All right. All the gentlemen, right. I'm doing a computer reboot. And once I've rebooted, then I will be ready for another 25 or 30,000 words. <laughs> I hope this helps somebody today. Amen. Amen. The last of uh, these that I will be talking about are, is the uh, distortion strongholds. Uh, the first one is magnification. Making a mountain out of a molehill. Mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. When you come from a, a, a life, so that kind of thing is a stronghold in your life. Every little thing that happens, yes. you end up exploding. Okay. <laughs> Everything is not, uh, if you have a scale of one to ten, everything can't be ten. If everything is ten, then by the time we get to the really important things, that's the reason why people don't listen to you. Because you made a big deal out of everything. That's right. So that when something important really does happen, you, many of you, you live in that frustration if you're a magnifier. You live in the frustration. It seems like nobody pays attention to me. But that's because you made a big deal out of everything. Yeah. Yeah. When you scream and yell at the kids over spilled milk, the same way you do if they actually break something important in the house, 
then it has no relevance. Right. Mom, dad, y'all just scream and holler about everything. Spilled milk is not the same thing as pushing your brother or sister down the steps. But if you yell at them about spilling milk the same way, the same intensity as you would about hurting your sibling, then you give the child no way of being able to determine what's really most important. Amen. Yeah. The next is personalization. Taking, when you yeah. take everything personally, it's all about you. Every message that Pastor Joe preaches is not at you. <laughs> Let me say it again. Every message that Pastor Joe preaches is not at you. Amen. And if the word comes and you are convicted, it was not a personal attack on you. It was simply the Holy Spirit get into the area in your life that needs healing. Mm. That's for bringing you harm. Yeah. It's to heal. Yeah. It's to, to bring you to a place of safety and healing. The next one is polarization. It's either black or white. There's no in between. There's no gray area. Mm. Now those of you who are out say, those of you who know that you operate in a prophetic gift, uh, a prophetic anointing, then we're the ones who struggle with that the most because everything is either right or wrong. That's right. There ain't no in between. Yes, us. sir. Now the struggle for that is that you leave <laughs> you leave people no room for gray. Yes, sir. You're a very polarizing type of person. That's the, where the world has reached now. This mentality has gripped America, where you are either on one side or the other. And it's like. Okay, so you're telling me that I can't be uh, for helping the poor and the homeless, and at the same time, I still want to <coughs> deal with the abortion issue and the gay marriage issue. I have to be on one side or the other. Either I'm for the poor and the homeless, or I'm on the side of, of, of the various rights. I'm on the side of justice or I'm on the side of right. I can't have both. I can't deal with both. That's what the world has reached. So everybody that aligns themselves with the issues of pro-choice, then they also are on the side of helping the poor mm. and the homeless. So it's all the pro-choice people with the helping the poor and like the people that are uh, rallying to stop the pipeline. We're all on the one side. But then you got the people who are for the rights, the rights of uh, religious freedom. The, the rights to be able to uh, still be a two-parent, you know, a, a traditional family. Um, and so, you mean we can't have, I can't do both. I can't be both in favor of helping the homeless and keeping my family intact. I can't do both, but we have such a polarized world now that they're saying you got to choose one or the other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's why what your pastor is preaching out of this house is so important. He's preaching the kingdom of God, which is about righteousness and justice. Amen. Only the kingdom of God can present both sides in balance. Amen. Yes. Righteousness and justice. They're trying to make us take one side or the other. If I go for justice, then I have to sacrifice righteousness. If I go for righteousness, then I have to sacrifice justice. No. It's all of it. We have a God of justice and righteousness. Mercy and righteousness. 
Yeah, come on, bless the Lord right now. Thank you, Lord. The next is selective abstraction, missing the forest for the trees. Um, this can deal with people who are, are really smart, they're really smart in their area, but they don't have no common sense. Hey. Hey. <laughs> hey. Or if you're one of those people, when problems come up, you can't see the big picture. You're so focused on what the, the issue that's in front of me right now. And now I can't step back. I lose the ability to step back and look at, okay, what's the bigger picture that's happening here? It's sort of like the issue with racism. Maybe most of us as black people, that's our biggest focus in America right now. Racism, racism, racism. Yeah. And it's a real issue. But if we, are, if we remain the kind of people that are selective abstraction, racism, 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 step back, step back. That's what your pastor's trying to get you to see, get all of us to see in this city and across this country. Racism is one issue of a much bigger thing Amen. that's happening across the world. Amen. As much as we're fighting against racism, did you know that there are still 27 million slaves in the world today? More than twice as many as there were in the 1800s. So while we're focused on racism that's happening here in America, there are millions of people who are slaves of various ethnicities and cultures and nationalities. So we've got to learn to step back, step back. We're not the only ones yes. still in a battle and a fight. That's right. Why is that important? Because if we take that mentality where we can never, no longer see the forest because we're only looking at the trees in front of us, then we'll never develop a heart for the lost of the world. Amen. It'll always just be about us and our people. And to be a kingdom of God citizen, Jesus came for the world to be a kingdom of God citizen. That means we're concerned about the world. God so loved the world. And say just black people in America. God so loved the world that he gave. It's only be God inside. Go ahead. Overgeneralization. History always repeats itself. It's that belief that it's going to happen again. Whatever happened to you before, it's going to happen again. Whatever things you've been through before, it's always going to. You know some of those sayings that we got, uh, especially on our job, no good deed goes unpunished. Yeah. Anybody ever said that on your job? Yeah. Uh, and the last one uh, for distortion strongholds, emotional reasoning. Feelings equal fact. That's the thought that because I feel it, then it must be real. It must be true. If I feel you don't love me, then you don't love me. It's based upon how I feel about it. I remember watching uh, uh, relatives get into a, a fight 
we was moving some tables and stuff around and and one got an attitude with the other uh, and it, it was a quick confrontation but the summation was this because one person said well that ain't what I meant I was just simply asking you to do so well I felt I felt like you meant something like what that's not what I meant what I felt it was like you meant something and couldn't get past it so as far as they were concerned since that's how I felt that's how I saw it that's how I saw it that's how it is so you have to ask yourself in dealing with this are things as you see them or do you see things as they are now I want to just deal with some of these cultural traditions that are handed down. You see, I got on there all blank people are racist. You just fill in the blank. Some of our cultural traditions. We always vote Democrat. We always vote Republican. Or we always vote Independent. That's a big one. Here's another one that gets handed down. Nice guys finish last. God only helps those who help themselves. It ain't in there. You don't say that Fine. nowhere in the Bible. Fine. Fine. <laughs> only the strong survive. Now here's one that really gets us. God won't put on you more than you can handle. Said, Pastor Chris, where do you get that from? Ain't that true? Don't his word say that? No, his word says. I, I even get that one ready for you. Because I knew that would be a tough one to swallow. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 is where people get that saying from. But here's what it actually says. God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape so that you will be able to Bear it. Bear what? Temptation. You say, well, Pastor Chris, what's the difference between temptations and the trials? Let me put that scripture in context. This is 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. Paul was describing to the people of the Lord the journey that God's people took when they came out of Egypt were going through the wilderness trying to get to the land of promise. Along the way, he says, these are the things that happened to them. Uh, some of them became idolaters. They began to lust after evil things. They began to commit sexual immorality. They began to uh, tempt Christ. They began to complain. So what is he talking about? Then after saying all of those things, what they did in responding to walking through the wilderness, then he says, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Meaning, when you're going through a wilderness, all of us are tempted yes. to complain, yes. to want to go back, yes. to grumble, yes. to get into sexual immorality, to get into idolatry. He says we're all tempted when we're going through a trial. We're all tempted to do those things. But God makes a way of escape yes. from the temptation. Yes. That's right. He didn't take them out of the yes. trial. Yes. He didn't take them out of the wilderness. He said the way of escape is from the temptation yes. to go back. 
Come on, Pastor. <laughs> ah, yes. So stop telling yes. people God won't put on you more than what you can. That ain't what he says. He says he will not allow you to be tempted when you're going through an unbearable situation. Yes. You know why that's important that we don't say that to people? Because when somebody's lost a loved one, mm. or somebody found out they got cancer, and then we say, God won't put on you more than what you're able to bear. We just told them God gave their loved one cancer. Hey. Hey. A couple of weeks ago, remember just before Thanksgiving, those little kids were killed in that bus accident in Tennessee, Chattanooga, Tennessee. God, I hope somebody didn't walk up to those parents and say, well, God won't put on you more than what you're able to bear. It's though God killed them kids. Come on, That's not what happened. That's an attack from the enemy. But in that trial, all of those relatives, all those parents, all those friends are right now being tempted to crumble against God, to speak against God. And the word of God says, actually, this is common. This is what the enemy always does. Yes. When trials hit us, then comes the temptation to turn our backs on God. And God says he won't allow that temptation to be more than what we can bear. Because he will provide a way of escape from the temptation. What gets us through the trial is what Paul says. He cried out to God and God said, my grace is sufficient. I think you think back now over your life, the, temp the, the trials that you've been through. And you know good and well, there was nothing but the grace of God that got you through that. Here's another reason why it's important to never say that to people. And that is because temptation does not come from God. James makes that very clear. When you read James, he said, uh, let no man say that when I'm tempted, that the temptation came from God. Because God doesn't tempt anybody. Yes. This is what we mean about rightly dividing the word. Because many of us have done that. In order to get through the trial, we've 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 run to that to that uh, stronghold that was passed down to us. And we thought, I know what'll get me through this trial. I'll remember that God won't put on you more than what you can bear. And so no. What you need to remember is God's grace is sufficient for me. So right now in your mind, just toss out that old tradition. Say, no, no more. No more. I'm not singing it no more. I'm not going to hold on to that anymore. That's not what's happening here. Wow. Come on, bless the Lord right now in our final. Some of the other things that get passed down to us are do to others before they do it to you. Uh, here's another one, big one with some of our unsaved friends and relatives. Churches and pastors just want your money. <laughs> here's a big one. Christianity is the white man's religion. Oh, good God almighty. used to oppress minorities. I can't even get into that. The Bible was written by white people to oppress minorities. Some of y'all laughing because you didn't heard it. Some of your own family members and friends didn't said it. I'm so sick of talking about it. Because they don't know the history. That's right. They don't know the history. 
They start off talking about, yeah, you know, those white Christians came down into Africa and took them in the sun. No, no, no. Christianity has already infiltrated Africa as far as, as early as the third century. Yes. 600 to yes. 1,000 years before Islam yes. came down into those and yes. wiped out those nations, Christianity was already yes. there. Yes. Not through white people, through Africans. Yes. Come on, Pastor. When the church got started, Africans were there. Make yes. it plain, sir. From the beginning. From the beginning. It was multi. It was yes. uh, it was a on, world man. movement from yes. its beginning. Yes. Everybody was there. Yes. And the move of God was in Africa anywhere from 600 to 1,000 yes. years before yes. Islam. Come on, Pastor. Yes. yes. Actually, God used Africans to evangelize the Europeans. Yes, sir. And that's my quick history lesson. <laughs> my point is, the Bible was not written by white people. In fact, none of them was white. It was Middle Eastern people. So how do we deal with these strongholds and traditions? And we'll close with this scripture. Many of us are familiar with it. 2 Corinthians 10, chapter, verses 4 through 6 says, The weapons for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought. Yes. Mm-hmm. See how we just dealt with all these thoughts? Yes. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. My Lord, now just a quick word so you know what I mean, what we mean. Those weapons, that's, that's, uh, those are instruments, uh, armament that God gives us. <clears throat> he says they're not carnal, meaning they're not natural, they're not fleshly, Amen. they're not things that are governed by human nature. Amen. Yes. They didn't come from us. And he said it's to pull down. Now that word pull down, before I get to the word stronghold, pull down means to uh, dismantle something. Mm-hmm. Or demolition or to destroy something. Now the stronghold is this. It's a castle. It's a castle. It's a fortress. And now here's another word. It's an argument. That's why Paul went on to use, actually use the word argument. Many of us, when we hear the word stronghold, we think of something, somebody being possessed with a demon and it's in them so strong you can't get them out. No, what the writer was talking about was thoughts, yes. traditions. Yes mindsets that have been passed on to us that we have built a fortress. (laughs) Come on, Pastor. Yes. It's like a fortress and a castle inside of us that has to be dismantled brick by brick. Now, some of our fortresses just got to be totally blown up. That's right. Come on, Pastor. Missiles. (laughs) <laughs> I just did today with the stronghold that God won't, won't put on you. Your so I had to come in with a missile. <laughs> now, some strongholds, they have to be dismantled brick by brick because if you try to come in with a missile, you're going to hurt the person. Because some of their strongholds are in their marriage. It's in their relationship. So you can't come blow that up. You got to dismantle that brick by brick, one thing at a time, tenderly. Gently. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Then the next one, these arguments and reasonings have spiritual roots. And they trigger disease in people. They trigger disorders. They trigger dysfunctions in people. They trigger the doubts. They bring death. I mean, it goes on to say casting down. Casting down has kind of different ways of thinking. Again, we those of you who come from certain backgrounds in the church, you hear casting down. And again, we think in terms of casting out demons, but he's not talking about demons. He's talking about casting down a thought, a mindset uh, that we have passed down through our traditions. Okay, it has two ways of thinking about casting down. First one is this. You'll love this. It's the notion of uh, detaching something, like having something nailed to you. So there are certain things that have mindsets that have been nailed to us. Can you picture that? Mm. Yes. And so casting down means coming and taking and pulling out that nail. Mm. Yes. See, everybody cringing, which means sometimes you got to go real quick. <laughs> but you're detaching something yes. from people. Here's another one. It means, uh, here's an even more graphic picture. It means some people have actually been nailed to an idea. Here's, I'll give you an example. We always vote Democrat. <laughs> and they're stuck because this is how our family always. They're nailed to it. Yes. Yes. Come on, Pastor. Yes. So the casting down means we've got to detach you from something. So it's two ways. Some things are attached to us, and some things we are attached to yes. it. Yes. 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 And in both cases, there's got to be a detachment. Somebody say detachment. Yes. <laughs> now, the other way of thinking of it is it is the use of force to actually throw something down, to cast it down, to demolish it. And like those HGTV shows where they go in and renovate somebody's house and tear it down to the studs man, yes. so that they can rebuild this thing all over again. That's the idea behind casting down also. In many of our families and in our households, stuff just got just got to be tore all the way back down to the studs. We got to start all over because there have been so many things. I hopefully as you looked at this list. Yes. And uh, we want you to take this list home and every place where the Lord shows you that's a stronghold in my life. Yes. Then we're saying, God, detach me from it. Yes, Lord. Yes. Or, 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 Un, or take that off of me before you try to preach it to your family and tell everybody else what they need to do just start with yourself Amen. you get free first that's always the temptation when you hear a word like this like I'm going to tell everybody no no take this to your prayer closet this is take you to your prayer closet and say Lord every way that the self-talk is on me where I think I must be perfect I may not actually say those words but I'm trying to be Perfect. Yes. Just go through the list, Lord. You know, especially those of you where there's some struggles in your marriage. Just the Lord show me, yes. show me. Because yes. for years you can go, Lord, show my husband. Lord, show my wife. Show him, God, show him. Show me. <laughs> <laughs> but what am I doing to encourage that response out of my spouse? Yeah. I may be triggering that response somehow. And that's not talking about blame, but some of us have, we've got things that are going on that have been in our past, and we don't know. There are certain things that you may say or do that's triggering something from their childhood. Mm -hmm. 
And they don't even realize why they're getting angry with you. They don't even know why they're getting frustrated. So take the position and say, Lord, use me as an instrument of healing for my wife. I don't know why I'm, what I'm doing or saying that's triggering her fearful response. Don't just be annoyed with her, brother. Don't just be annoyed with her when she gets in that mood, where she just seems to be fearful, or she gets irritable. No, don't get annoyed with it. God, help me. Show me. Love to have to love my wife the way you love me. When I'm, when I'm not responsive to you, Lord, show me how to deal with my wife the way you deal with me when I'm not responsive. Anybody hear this today? Mm, yes. That was good. And I'll stop with this one because I won't get a chance to go through all of this. But he said, casting down imaginations. Imaginations is those, it's, it's like those computations and the reasonings. In other words, everybody, we all do this. We're like, we're like little human computers. With all of the things that are happening in our lives, we got all these memories. And we got all these responses. And we got all these decisions that we've come to. And we got all these conclusions that we've come to. And so we're complicated. Right now, you are the sum. You sitting in this in that chair right now, you are right now the summation of all of your life's experience. And it just depends upon what I begin to talk to you about that begins to tap into that summation. Now, if I rub you the wrong way, the wrong, the wrong, the, a particular summation may come out. And you go like, hey, get up off me. You're too close. Give me 50 feet. See, it depends upon what's the summation of your life. Some people don't mind you standing up close to them. Somebody else, you know, no, no, get off me. Why? That's the summation of their life. Now, because that's the imaginations. That's what that word means. The conclusions, the summation of this person in this moment in time. And so it's the casting down, the dismantling of all the things that brought you to this conclusion, to the conclusions you have about life. There's a reason why we say this to people that we train to be coaches. There's a reason why people do what they do. Yeah. Don't just call them stupid. Don't call them idiots. No, they're not. There's a reason why. Everybody's got a reason. Now, whether you think it's legitimate or not has nothing to do with it. We all have a reason for the responses that we give in life. And this word comes to begin to dismantle the things that brought up that brought a person to those reasonings. The word of God comes to heal. The word of God comes to restore. Come on, in this final moment, just say, Lord, I open my heart to you. Yes, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God. Lord, I thank you for your healing that has taken place in this word today. As we have dealt with just a few of the traditional strongholds, but Lord, we thank you. I just sense that for those of you right now, we're someplace, some area where light came, revelation came, just thank God for it. Be real intentional. Make it very personal and be very intentional. Just say it right now. Lord, I thank you. Lord, I thank you. 
Now you fill in the blank. I thank you for showing me. Oh, strong Go ahead. Or the worldly stronghold that I believe. Or the distortion stronghold that I believe. Thank you, Lord God, for detaching me from the cultural strongholds that I believe. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for healing me. I receive it now. Lord, I thank you for helping us as your people to live this out in the days, weeks, and should you tarry, months and years that are to follow. Lord, I thank you, Lord. You are faithful. As we make this declaration over your people, we thank you, Lord God, for you are faithful to perform and to complete what you started in the hearts and lives of everyone present. Lord, I thank you for this church, for Pastor Joe. For Pastor Gwen, for the leaders of this house. Lord, you have set them like a city on a hill whose light that cannot be hidden. Lord, they're moving forth in great boldness and opposition to a strong tidal wave. But I thank you for, for the miracle of not just simply preservation, but they would overcome. Lord, make this house an example to this city of a people who will stand strong in the midst of opposition. Lord, I thank you for giving your angels charge over them to keep them in all of their ways that no weapon formed against them would prosper. That every word that rises up against them that they would condemn it. For this is the heritage of the saints of the Lord. I thank you, Lord God, that marriages are preserved in this house, that lives are preserved in this life, in this house. I thank you, God, for giving favor on jobs with promotions. Yes, Lord, and increase that you would make them an example of a people who, would, who have given themselves wholly to you and that you provide and protect. In Jesus' name we pray. Let thy kingdom come. Your will be done in this house. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand.